I want to thank everyone that's been involved today, both publicly and privately. I want to thank all of you who serve in various ways throughout the week in ways that we don't always see. The Lord does, though, and we appreciate that. We pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. As we study through this book, we're in chapter 8. Let me read beginning at verse 1. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. You've got to understand, in Corinth, you have a lot of people who grew up in a time period where they were used to going to idols, temples. They were used to idol worship. That's how they were raised. Now, some of them may have come to know that there's only one true God, then they see somebody who is a believer in that God eating this meat that has that past to it. And now because of the way they were brought up, the way that they thought, now this is a damaging thing to their conscience. What we really see in how he begins in verse 1 is that, yes, there's knowledge, but that is important. When Paul says, and 
sounds like he's diminishing the importance of knowledge. He's really not. He's not saying that knowledge is not important at all. Knowledge is important. First off, understand the difference between knowledge of God and knowledge of the world. But second off, notice that you can know biblical facts but not really understand the essence of what God is all about and understand and know Him. You could know what the Bible says on a matter intellectually, but you're not really practicing the, what the Bible teaches. So understand that. It is important what we know. And it's important how we think. It's important because in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said he, he was thankful that they had been enriched in all knowledge. He also says in chapter 12 that the Spirit gives knowledge. So knowledge is important. The proverb writer says that knowledge is in the, of God is, in wisdom is the chief thing. So proper knowledge is important. He's not saying it's not. In chapter 15, he's going to say it's a shame that some did not have the knowledge of God. But you know, just as Jesus said to one, how long have you been with me and you don't know me, Philip? You've been with me. So he knew some things. Jesus also spoke to people who should have known the law and said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Isn't it interesting that sometimes people think they know something, claim to be an expert even, might even be able to quote it, might, might be looked at as, as that standard to some people, and yet still miss it. Knowledge is good. But notice what he says the tendency is in verse 1. Knowledge puffs up. That is, it, it can make you arrogant. doesn't have to be that way, but it, it, it can have that tendency. The more you know, the more you tend to think of yourself. And, and the more you tend to think less of others or disregard what others know or don't know. We've got to be, guard ourselves against that. We're supposed to increase in our knowledge. We're supposed to study. We're supposed to know God's will. Definitely do the best you can at that. You want to know more. Know all that you can. But when you study and when you learn, don't disregard your brother's soul in the process of that. And here's where love is even more important than the knowledge. In chapter 13, he's going to deal with that. Again, really, that principle of loving and being considerate of your brother, what he knows, what he doesn't know and doesn't understand. You need to try to relate. Isn't that what Jesus does with us? I've said and I've noticed a lot that I think, generally speaking, people are not very good at putting themselves in other shoes. I would imagine a Jew probably would have a hard time understanding. A, if, if a Jew always knew, for example, let's just throw out a scenario that might have been 
present in Corinth. If you were a Jew and you were raised to believe there's only one true God, all other so-called gods are just imaginary. Well, so, and here is a piece of meat that's sacrificed to an idol. Well, here's the meat before you. To you, it might seem like, okay, it's just a piece of meat. And you might not understand why this Gentile is having such a hard time. He's, he's so nervous. Intellectually, he might understand somewhat that there's only one God. But in his conscience, he's still struggling with this because all his life he may have grown up giving homage or, or some kind of devotion to some idol. Now he sees you doing it and he associates the idolatry with that eating of the meat and he's now having a hard time why you're able to do this and he's not. And what he might end up doing is actually going ahead and partaking against his conscience and when he does that, it might not be technically wrong to eat a piece of meat but it's wrong to him. Because he's eating it in a spirit of rebellion now. He's now, in his mind, he believes that this is questionable or wrong. But he goes ahead and does it because he sees you doing it. Now what you may have accidentally done, or intentionally, either way, doesn't matter. You've got to be sensitive to this fact that you could be causing your brother to do something that in fact is causing him to sin. You do recognize something may not be technically wrong, but it could be wrong to the person who does it if they do it with the wrong motive. We need to understand that. You might know that it's okay to eat a piece of meat in your mind technically, and you're not doing it with any kind of devotion to an idol so that's fine for you you think but if you're disregarding your brother and causing him to stumble then you're sinning you're sinning against him and you're sinning against Christ so motive here is very important and when Paul says knowledge puffs up but love builds up what he's really doing is he's trying to humble us. He's trying to humble the people he's talking to. If they were arrogant, thinking highly of themselves, this, this point was meant to try to cause them to realize what they don't know. Verse 2, if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. The whole point here is trying to get you to not put yourself up so much. Really, a lot of times, we don't know what we don't know. We think we know, but if you don't know it, how do you know that you don't know it? <laughs> you think about it. Have you ever done this yourself? Just the other day. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. Melina, I, I walked in there, and there's uh, two halves of a, it looks like squash there. She's cooked it. She turns it over. She's scraping it out. And I look down inside that. She says it's spaghetti squash. And it actually has this, you know, the, 
the shredded spaghetti. All this time, I had seen it in its shredded form, you know, the way it is. And in my mind, I thought, well, spaghetti squash. I thought somebody took squash and then put it through a strainer of some kind, and that's how it ended up like that. I didn't know there was such a thing, a plant called spaghetti squash. And uh, so then I was like, well, I didn't know. You know, it's kind of a case in point. You don't know what you don't know. You think you know, but you don't. And so let's suppose for a, uh, a moment, what if we think we understand the Scripture on something? Maybe we've studied this passage. Maybe we've studied another passage. There always needs to be some humility. We always need to ask ourselves, is it possible that I think I understand what this is saying and I don't? Probably a good time for me to insert it. That if in my explanation I have said something or I say something that you see, okay, I don't think Andy really grasped what he's really meaning there. I won't I should not be offended. I should not take it personally if you were to take me aside and show me what it's actually saying. Okay? We shouldn't be afraid to stand for what we know the Bible to teach. Paul's doing that. I don't think he's being arrogant when he's confronting them and teaching them. So it's not like let's dismiss everything. So Paul's not doing that. But we still need to have some humility behind what we are teaching and recognize, especially whenever you have a subject like this where it's not seemingly right or wrong depending upon how that's taken. Uh, it's, so when you think about that, I need to recognize that I might be wrong. Sometimes people think they're smart. You, you ever been around someone who thinks they know a lot about a subject and the more they talk, it reveals how much they really don't? We might be that person. So be humble. Now verse 3, If any man love God, the same is known of him. Here really, I think in the first three verses here, Paul is saying, look, here's the two greatest commands. Love God, love your neighbor. If you love God and you love what he's about, what he's trying to accomplish, you want to help him in that cause. Okay? And that is saving souls. If you love what Jesus did for you, then you want to help save souls. And if Jesus died for his, you want to help him accomplish that. And you've got to stop and realize sometimes there are different people in different uh, levels of learning in their journey. Maybe you were taught all your life certain things and it's easy to you. You would think everybody ought to know that because that's what you were taught. You've known that from a child. But there might be someone who's just now come into that knowledge. Or maybe, maybe they should be further along, but they're not. You still should try to take into that take that into account that there might be some people who just not have not reached a certain level of learning 
about that yet. So there needs to be patience involved. And there needs to be a consideration involved of each other. That's where love is inserted. Caring about souls. Now, in verses 4 through 6, he really talks about God and who he is. I mean, these, that ought to be so foundational. There, there, there is no other God. There might be other so-called gods. There might be a lot of figures that people make an image to, pray to. But we see that image, it's just a piece of wood. It's just, it's just a piece of stone. It's just something a man carved out. You, if you pray to it, it can't hear you. It's not going to answer your prayers. You might understand that. Okay? And you might get that that thing is just a thing. And somebody else might hear that and say, Okay, I, I, I'm accepting that. But if you've been practicing that all your life, and, and now, here it is. So, as an example, I'm, I'm trying to relate here. When I grew up in a town that all the stores sold alcohol, you didn't have some stores that sold alcohol, some stores that didn't. I mean, it, it was very much like here. So, Every, what I was taught is you just don't go buy the alcohol. You know, you, you buy your item, you just don't buy the alcohol. Then I moved to a dry town. In case you didn't know what that is, it's a town where you weren't allowed to, it, it was illegal to sell the alcohol in, inside the town. But there was a golf course that was technically inside the city limits, but they found a loophole. And so what they did was they, because if they, they found out if you could be classified as a country club, what you could do is you could now sell alcohol. So what they did was they put in a tennis court to be classified as a country club, which the whole thing was a joke because nobody ever used that tennis court. It was even grown up. I don't think there was even a net inside there. So, but they, they knew the rule. They got it classified. So they had this little store in the golf course that was like a convenience store that sold a little bit of everything. You could buy soft drinks, you could buy uh, you know, crackers, nabs, whatever you refer to them. You could buy hot dogs or you could buy alcohol. But this was the one place where if anybody wanted to buy alcohol it was like a busy center. People that did not golf drove in, get the, they got their alcohol, they drove out. And everybody knew this is what they did. Well, me coming from a place where I'm not used to this sort of thing, I'm golfing with someone. We reach the end of nine holes. We pull our golf cart in, in there. I say, hang on a second. I run in there and I grab a non-alcoholic drink and a hot dog just because I thought, you know, I didn't think anything of it. That's, you know, I didn't know that that would be a, a problem, I, so I didn't buy the alcohol. But when I came back out, my buddy says, I can't believe you just went into a beer store. And 
And then I realized, uh uh-oh, I might have just messed up here. That I might have accidentally caused this brother who possibly had a problem with alcoholism in the past. And now he's struggling with this idea. And so now, what should I do the next time I play golf with him? Should I say, you know what? I didn't buy the alcohol. I'm just going in there to get, you saw what I got. I brought out the, the hot dog. I could just think about me and, and think, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. If he's got a problem with me, then the problem's on him. His, his, his loss, his trouble, he needs to quit judging me. I, I could have that mentality if I wanted to. But I think what it might have done is been, been better for me to say, you know what, I don't have to have a hot dog today. If the brother's going to see me, it's going to bother him. He feels like I'm supporting an institution that is promoting something that the town is trying to, some people in the town are trying to, to keep away. Then maybe it would be better for me to forego my rights on this case. You might see this whole thing and you might say, Andy, you shouldn't have went in there. Or you might say, Andy, there wouldn't be anything wrong with it. In this particular case, Paul says in verse 8, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Sometimes there are things that we think are right or wrong that are not. This is a, a case he's making. Now to the one person, to him it is wrong. He sees it as black and white, it's wrong. But the other sees that it's a liberty. Well, should we be so determined? I've got my rights. I'm going to exercise my right regardless of what that does to you. Well, he's making the point that souls are more important than that. I need to be mindful of what others see me do. Now, sometimes we say, okay, we should just not care what others think of us. Depends on what you mean by that. You need to clarify that. If you're meaning you should love the praise of men more than the praise of God, <laughs> well, or you should love the praise of God more than the praise of men, so if God tells you to do something and this is going to cause somebody to look, view you in a negative light, but you know God wants you to do this, then you should go ahead and do it regardless of what others are going to think of you in that case. You shouldn't care less about pleasing others in that case. But when it comes to your example, if it might cause a brother to sin, okay, now I should care what he's seeing me do. I should care what example I'm setting before him. So I don't know if that statement of just blanketedly, I think that needs to be uh, qualified. I should be mindful of what others see me do. And anytime this uh, situation comes up, you should always try to relate whatever the subject of the struggle is with Christ. Go back to the cross. That's what Paul is doing here. What is the whole purpose 
and essence of what Christ did? Was it about him exerting his rights? It was absolutely not. The whole message of the gospel and everything that it was about was about a God who loved us, gave up what he had, gave up what he deserved, and, and rightfully could claim. He took upon the form of a servant, and he, and he served. When he gave up his body, did he not have the right to his body? Did, when he gave up the, the air that he was breathing, did he not have the right to that air? When he gave up his blood, did he not have the right to his blood? Those were, his, those were all his. And they were innocent. And by giving that up, not only that, look at what else he gave up in living in a poor home. Living in an obscure community. One that others look down upon. Look at all that he gave up. Look at the shame that he took upon himself. He as the king of kings and lord of lords. Look at what he did. He didn't give up his divinity. But he gave up so much. When he was being questioned on trial. He had the right to defend himself. He had the right to say, I plead, your, I'm innocent. But he didn't. Why did he do that? And so I must try to say, if I believe in that cause and what, why he did that for me, and now, now I am bearing his name, I need to stop and think, am I willing to do that for my brother? And should I have a time limit on it? Notice that Paul says, he doesn't say, okay, I'll give up my meat for one day, but eventually I've got to browbeat this brother to convince him it's okay that I've got to eventually get him to see it exactly the way I do or else. No, actually he says, as long as the world stands. There's no time limit on that. Teach him, yes. But what if he never gets it? What if it's still a problem for him? Then his soul is more important than the thing that I might be allowed to do in my mind. And so I, that principle is based upon the love of Christ. That's what Jesus did for me. Now, to clarify one other point, he's not saying that this is about catering to every opinion of what every brother might like. There are some times where a, a brother might prefer one thing over another. And they might have an opinion about something. Now this is not saying that I'm always held at hostage of everyone like that. However, if when he's talking about the stumbling block, that's what he's dealing with. If it causes, when he says offend, it doesn't mean it bothers his, him in a way that he, he just doesn't like it. It means it, it causes him to go against his conscience. 
then it's a sin. And then it's a sin not only against him, but it's a sin against Christ. I always need to think that my actions towards you is also my actions towards the Lord. Because he takes it personally. He died for that soul. And if I'm causing that soul to be lost, even well, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I know this. I, I know this thing about the, the idol. But look what you did if you end up causing your brother to be lost. It's not worth it. And so love here is more important. I appreciate your attention. If you understand that Jesus died for you, we want you to apply his blood. We want you to repent. We want you to confess that Jesus is the Lord and be baptized so that you can have the hope of heaven. And then we want to help you and we want to teach you and help you learn and grow. Hopefully we'll be patient there. But then as a, as a Christian, if you have done anything that you need to ask the church's prayers for, whether that's a sin or whether that's a, something else that you just want help with and encouragement with, that's what we're here for. Won't you come while we stand and as we sing?